Uh, we've got a lot to cover, so I want to dive right into equipping hour this morning. We can pray and then uh, get started. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I do praise you for a sweet opportunity. Uh, Lord, just to be in your word this morning and uh, look at the Great Commission, uh, Lord, and then be able to uh, turn a page and, and look at Papua New Guinea. Uh, Lord, it is a place truly at the ends of the earth. And, uh, Lord, there is a great need for more missionary church planters to go and bring the gospel message of Jesus Christ uh, to a place where he is not known or a place where he is known incorrectly. God, be at our time this morning. We just praise you. I pray you would just guide it. And, Lord, that um, you would just be with everybody listening. I pray you would give them ears to be able to hear with clarity and absorb as much as they possibly can. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, as many of you know, uh, our family was in Papua New Guinea for six months. Uh, we departed May 3rd and returned uh, November 6th. And uh, we, were, we were so well sent out by Grace Bible Church and individuals within the church that uh, this is just a public opportunity for me to say thank you. Uh, individuals uh, prayed for us, financially supported us. Uh, individuals showed up randomly at uh, Steve and Drew Kovacs' house right before we were going to leave, packing, tired, crying, etc., and uh, just comforted us, prayed for us, and just sent us well. We just we left well. We were encouraged well on the field, and uh, and then coming back, we were just well received. Uh, there were meals that were brought to the house for us. We didn't have to go to the grocery store for about a week. Just we transitioned back in a way where we just we we felt like we came home. And uh, we were with our home body. And so it's just sweet to be with family this morning. Say thank you to all of you and uh, be able to present just our time in Papua New Guinea, what it was like, what we did, and uh, what we aimed to accomplish. And so just something I want you to prepare for this morning is, one, just be ready to drink through a fire hose. It's kind of how these things go. Uh, We're talking about a foreign land that uh, we know some things about, and yet it's a lot of information. And so uh, if you have your... Uh, small journal out, and you're going to take just very meticulous notes. You're probably going to be disappointed. And so what I would say is just listen and gather as much information you can and view this as a resource. Uh, it gives you the ability to go back, uh, listen again, and uh, there's a video that we'll watch as well, just to be able to have a better picture of what's happening in Papua New Guinea, to be able to pray better for missionaries that are over there and uh, be able to support the things that are happening. Um, one of the questions that I've been asked since I've been back by friends we know and love is, are you still working for Finisterre? When are you going back to Papua New Guinea? Just lots of sweet questions. And I just want to be able to provide clarity on what my role is. What, what am I doing uh, for work? Um, I'm just one of the leaders within Finisterre. Uh, Scott Maxwell is the president. I am the COO. Uh, Cameron Dodd is our communications manager. She handles things like content creation, media, website, print. Um, Amber Baum is uh, an administrative assistant, and she works closely with me, just working on a lot of things related to just administration for the organization. And then we have Melissa James, who actually works in the Office of Grace Bible, uh, but she also commits some of her time towards handling donation processing for Finisterre, too. And so that's USA side Finisterre. Um, my role in that specifically is while Scott is focused on the direction of Finisterre and development of relationships and partnerships with local churches, my role is to work alongside him in those things, just ensuring that the organization runs smoothly, uh, looking specifically at things like day-to-day operations, finances, IT systems, uh, legal responsibilities and accountability, travel documentation for our foreign workers, maintaining compliance with the Papua New Guinea government, USA government, and doing that in two countries across two different currencies. So I also have the privilege of overseeing and providing capstone training for new missionaries with Finisterre. So this is P&G-specific training that enables them to effectively carry out gospel ministry in the context of P&G. And so Lori and I are both excited about what we get to do uh, with Finisterre. You know, one of the things that we navigated coming back was um, in Papua New Guinea, while we were there, 2014 through 2020, uh, Lori was involved in these things right next to me, along with the kids in ministry over there. And so coming back... Is a bit of a shift where I'm primarily involved in ministry, and she doesn't feel that to the same degree. 
And so being involved in capstone training to be able to help missionaries and the wives of missionaries that need to know, how do I think about living in Papua New Guinea? Lori has an opportunity to be able to serve in that way too, which has been a great blessing for her. And so this is, this is what we're doing. It's a joy to be able to serve with Finisterre, which is an organization that works alongside local churches, supporting local churches as they send their missionaries to Papua New Guinea. We provide the infrastructure for them to be able to do that and do it well. So what do I want to accomplish this morning? Uh, these are my lofty goals. I want to remind us of the mandate and opportunity for missions in Papua New Guinea. I want to provide an update on our family's time in Papua New Guinea. And I want to provide an update on Team Madang, the ministry of Maui Roro, and new missionaries on the horizon. And once I get through point two, which is just an update on our family, I'll walk us through a video uh, that'll be about 10 minutes uh, that captures both family enjoyment on a trip like this, as well as ministry things that we accomplished. And uh, so I'm going to give you a lot of information on the front end, um, and then you'll see a video that'll fill in a lot of those gaps for you, okay? And so let's look at the first one. If you have your Bibles, let's just look briefly at Matthew 28. I just want to remind us of things we know and love, but remind ourselves of the biblical mandate for missions, which is ultimately disciple-making. Matthew 28, we find Jesus on the cusp of his ascension here, bringing his disciples to Galilee to a mountain, which Jesus had designated in verse 16. Picking up at 17, it says this. It says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. And so in verse 19, we see that the main focus here is making disciples. And as they are making disciples, it's in the process of going. Uh, Their direction is to all the nations. They are to be baptizing these disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they are to be teaching these disciples to keep all that I commanded you. And then there is just a great encouragement that the Lord himself will be with them in this endeavor, even to the close of the age. And I know that none of us in here are these 11 disciples, these 11 apostles, but by implication, these are the individuals that carried this message, and that message was then carried by others. And so by implication, this is the mission mandate of making disciples. This is the clear picture that we have of these things. So here, maybe a good way to think about it is this is the responsibility of the sent ones. Uh, This is the responsibility of every missionary, every individual who is in the process of disciple making. And we can look at Acts 1.8 in terms of the progressively outward direction of that message and turn over to Acts 1 verse 8. And here we find Jesus right before his ascension. And he reminds his apostles that they are to remain in Jerusalem. But he says here in verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Now, Papua New Guinea, the Finisterre mountain range, Finisterre in Latin means the ends of the earth. And so we literally are fulfilling this great commission in one sense. But it is a picture of having the responsibility of the sent ones. We know it's disciple making, church planting, Matthew 28. And here you see the outward progression of that message. It is not a message that is supposed to be contained in one place. It is to progressively be making its way out and further out. And so we have a a mandate for missions. And Papua New Guinea falls into that grouping. Some things to look at here, just on stats on Papua New Guinea, things we know, but things that are helpful to be reminded of. One is that Papua New Guinea is about the size of the state of California. 
Its total population as of 2021 is just shy of 12 million people. And to provide a contrast, California had 39 million people in the same year of 2021. And so you have a landmass of similar size, but far less people in Papua New Guinea. Uh, much of that is just because of its diversity that creates difficulty related to population growth. It's one of the most diverse countries on earth. Just listen to these things. It is diverse in language with over 830 different languages being spoken in the country with a connecting trade language called Tokpisan. English is also spoken in the country in various degrees, primarily in urban centers rather than in rural areas. It is diverse in landscape, terrain, and climate from low coastal areas to high mountains, from hot, muggy swamplands to refreshing mountain breezes, from torrential downpours in wet season to dusty roads and dead grass in dry season. It is diverse in its education, from academically trained dignitaries to illiterate leaders in village communities, from well-trained businessmen who enjoy comfortable lifestyles to poorly educated subsistence farmers living in their villages, whose job is simply to work their gardens each day to have food to survive. In fact, in 2021, they found that only 6.6% of the entire population had graduated the 12th grade. I would say now, even just moving that up to 2023, it's probably around 16% have made their way through the 12th grade, graduating high school. It is diverse as a society. There are various size urban centers, towns, cities found all over Papua New Guinea, but the majority of people are actually found in the rural areas. In 2021, the World Bank concluded that only 21% of the entire population had access to electricity. So imagine only two people out of 10 having electricity, just two. That diversity creates unique challenges as it relates to ministry in Papua New Guinea. Uh, one thing it is guaranteed to do is that it slows down the progress of any endeavor that is taken up in the country. Now, progress is best measured by your diligence towards a goal rather than the speed at which those goals are accomplished. Another opportunity here is just that the, the door is wide open to bring the gospel. Uh, your passport can literally say missionary right on it. In fact, uh, my work permit uh, when we went over to Papua New Guinea said other religious worker right on it. Uh, it is an open door as opposed to a closed access location. In fact, I would simply say that the door is unfortunately open to anything that's deemed religious. In Medang Town, uh, there is a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall building. Uh, I've seen New Guinean Mormons, not many, but some, walking down the street with their white shirts and name tags. I've seen Papua New Guinean nuns completely dressed in their traditional garments with head coverings. I have seen New Guinean monks with the long robes, tassels, and uniquely shaved heads, as is common with monks. And the door, like I said, is wide open, but it is wide open not only to truth, it is wide open to air as well. Throughout the Finisterre or Rikos Mountains, as they're also called in PNG, people are actually asking for missionaries to come. Uh, now, the intentions of the people are not typically from a desire for people to come and do church planting in our village, uh, but there is a desire for individuals to come, an open door to be able to come and live among them, to build a home there, to learn their language, and usually to translate the Bible. And so there is opportunity with an open door. Something else that provides the opportunity is the fact that Papua New Guinea is really a, a non-Christian Christian nation. Uh, very similar to how America used to be classified as a Christian nation. And any movie that you watch in Hollywood that was entirely pagan would still have prayers happening in the midst of it and religious outward acts that we would look at and think through, which are entirely syncretistic. There is a genuine syncretism that dominates Papua New Guinea. In 2011, this is just fascinating. If you look at Wikipedia, it says that Papua New Guinea is 26% Catholic, 69.3% Protestant, and 4.7% either didn't say anything or they were another religion. And so you'd look at that statistic and think, my goodness, it's reached. In fact, if you go to the Joshua Project website, which is a research initiative seeking to highlight the people groups of the world with the fewest followers to Christ, 
they state that PNG is 94.4% Christian. And marked with a green dot indicating the work of the commission is just, it's nearly complete. It's pretty much done. Uh, if you go to peoplegroups.org, there is actually a description of the Doe people and their language group. And it says this, and I would agree with this statement. It says their primary language is EO, and the primary re- religion practiced by this group is non-evangelical Protestantism, a collection of denominations typically more focused on issues of social justice than personal salvation, end quote. I've only met a very small handful of Papua New Guineans who would not call themselves Christians. Uh, just by way of example, there is a resort near our base of operations in Medang, and there is this beautiful carved storyboard. Uh, it's actually a bar area, and right underneath it, the kickboard where your feet dangle, is this storyboard. Intricately carved detail. Um, of Papua New Guinean people living in a village context. And as you look at it from left to right, you get to see the story of Papua New Guinea, uh, where they would view their ancestors as being pagan. But when Christian missionaries came, that transition moved them into being a Christian nation. And so you'll see uh, Papua New Guineans in a village context uh, who move from a state of nakedness to them being covered. And you will see individuals where articles of worship associated with ancestors are missing and then replaced on the other side with Christian practices. And the storyboard is just a picture of the nation becoming Christian. The transition from left to right on that storyboard is a cross showing up in Lotu, which is the word for worship. And so as a nation, there is this understanding that we are Christians, a syncretized thought process. And much of this makes its way into a foundational thing called animism and cargo cult mentality. And the majority of Papua New Guineans would be defined as animistic, uh, meaning they believe in a supernatural power or various spirits that live in the world around them and shape their way of life. Nothing happens for nothing, and everything can be attributed to a type of spiritual force that is at work, either negatively or positively. If someone is sick, it's not the result of germs or a virus, it is the result of spirits, at least in the mind of a New Guinean. And this belief system informs the way they live and what they do. If you want things to go well, you will work hard to manipulate these spirits to your own advantage. You also live in constant fear and suspicion of others who may be manipulating spirits against you. This animistic belief system, which is a lie from the devil, is given rise to a unique belief system called cargo cult mentality. And basically, the, the Papua New Guinean animus believes that there are supernatural forces and spirits that brought them into existence also gave them their physical world and the things in it. Things like bananas and sweet potatoes and various types of trees, animals that are found in their area as well as birds that fly in the air and the mountains that surround them. So if they can manipulate these spirits, then they can manipulate their physical world around them so that things will go well for them. So imagine this mindset. When Westerners came from foreign lands, they came with strange objects that they had never seen in Papua New Guinea before. And they hadn't seen in their environment. Massive boats, airplanes, books, pens, fish hooks, metal axe heads, lamps, knives, and guns. Each item was so foreign that they did not even have an idea of how it could exist. It'd be like observing someone being beamed up by Scotty in Star Trek. Now, a natural, spiritually dead heart would immediately desire to have such things. I know mine would. And coveting, which was already dominating their hearts before Westerners ever arrived, would be on the hearts of those who didn't have these things. But what is strange is the way that they go about trying to acquire these things. Where we would think about working hard, being diligent, uh, and being able to get money to be able to purchase it. Or we would think through the manufacturing process to produce a particular item. They believe that all people came about in the same way. So brought into existence by their unique deities and spirits, as well as providing them with the world and natural environment they live in, 
So while the Papua New Guineans, deities and spirits have blessed them with bananas, sweet potatoes, taro, trees, stones, rocks, and mountains, the Westerners' deities and spirits have provided them with ships and airplanes and books and funny-looking clothes and metal axes. If they're able to somehow manipulate the foreigners' deities and spirits, then the unique goods or cargo that they had would begin showing up for them. The sinking led the way for the vast syncretism that is now found in the areas where we are sending missionaries today. New Guineans in the past embraced Christianity in its various forms that were brought by missionaries, often with the hope that they would get this cargo as a means of manipulating, lying, deception, whatever was needed outwardly in order to try to manipulate to get the cargo that came. There's a man by the name of John Keith McCarthy, who was a district commissioner of Medang in 1949, and also politically played a role in Papua New Guinea all the way until the early 1960s. And he summed up the issue of cargo cult this way. Quote, bluntly, cargo cult is one of the greatest barriers that impede the advancement of the people. It must go if progress is to be achieved. But the changing of men's minds is a slow process. A step forward in the changing is the recognition and admission on our part that intricate belief systems such as cargo cult exist. You cannot fight with your head in the sand. End quote. Friends, even though he wrote that in 1949, that still dominates the province of Medang especially throughout the Finisterre Mountains. And even though so many years have passed, the strength of animistic belief systems combined with cargo cult mentality wins the day. And what is sobering is that often Jesus' name is known, but the message of the gospel is obscured. He is simply added to the other powerful spirits that the animus works to manipulate, hopelessly producing a beneficial outcome. The need for Christ... Um, to send more church-planting missionaries is great. In order to reach those lost in this belief system, you must be excellent in your comprehension, not only of language, but the culture and beliefs of the people that you are working with to effectively share the good news of the gospel with them. You have to labor for years to be able to think like a New Guinean so you can present the gospel as something that must be embraced and animism is something that must be repented from and turned away from. You cannot have both. I believe a failure to accurately heed McCarthy's warning in the past that you cannot fight with your head in the sand has unfortunately led much of Medang province and the Finister Mountains into the syncretistic Christian world that we find there today. It is in desperate need of more missionaries. And so there is... a. Uh, a biblical mandate that we looked at, and then there is also a massive opportunity in Papua New Guinea. Uh, there is not only the opportunity, but the need to send more individuals to go. And the work is not easy. <laughs> like we said, just because of how diverse it is and the, the speed at which things run, there is a need for individuals to go that are able to plod along slowly. So shifting from that, moving into just an update on our family, um, I can just say this. We departed the States back in May 3rd of this year. Uh, the flight path was from Arizona to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Brisbane, Australia, Brisbane to Cairns, and then from Cairns to Port Moresby, lastly, Moresby to Medang Town. Uh, I think in total we flew over 21 hours, uh, in five different airplanes, crossed the international dateline, traversed two countries, uh, made purchases in two different currencies, as well as swapping SIM cards on our phones twice before we made our way to Medang Town. So it makes me tired and excited just saying that all over again. Um, when we arrived in Medang, we were warmly received by the Mitchells at the airport, which was sweet. Uh, they prepared our lodging. They had purchased food for us just to give us the ability to rest a little bit before we had to go to town and head to the market. Um, our kids immediately just started playing with Callista and Sebastian, as well as other kids that are in the area that they've known for years. And something we were just curious about was our uh, retention of the trade language, Talk Pissin. You know, we have been gone from 2020 through 2023, and um, I was able to text and I talked with people from time to time, but 
being able to be there and dynamically interact in the language is different uh, than being able to talk in the car by myself while I'm on the way from one place to another, assuming that I'm able to speak the language. Um, but as soon as we landed in Port Moresby, everything came back just as we hoped it would have been and able to converse very quickly in the language. Uh, Lori was able to interact with a lot of sweet ladies she built friendships with in the past. Our kids actually had opportunity to work on growing in their language ability. Greer took this on the most, I think, out of all three of them and uh, really just did well in those things. And just by God's grace, I was able to step into preaching and teaching much faster than I anticipated. Uh, so much had changed since we left, and it wasn't as if it was all unknown. Uh, when we left, Finisterre's base of operations in Medang was a small property that we rented from the Lutheran School of Nursing. We had a building that we lived in, which is our main house. Then we had a back house uh, that was my office area, as well as uh, an area for staging and storage for logistics. And then our security guards also lived in the back house. But then we negotiated a a lease with um, SIL, uh, which is Wycliffe Bible Translators in Papua New Guinea. Uh, And we are now leasing and renting their regional center. So we did that uh, right when COVID was happening. Uh, So we moved literally right across the street. Our our previous house was on one side of the road, and we just moved to the other side. And so we're very familiar with the property. We had had been there many times. In fact, when we landed in Papua New Guinea in 2014, we stayed at this same regional center. But being a guest on the regional center for a different organization is different than going back and being a guest at the, org- at the regional center when it's our base of operations. And so being able to see it in a different light was just very sweet. Uh, that was something that we were anticipating, and being able to see it firsthand was amazing. Uh, something else that we had done organizationally is, uh, since being away, we had added a new vehicle to our fleet. We had added a new Papua New Guinea employee to our staff. And we had added a few security dogs uh, to keep an eye on things. And in all of this, it just needed to see the condition of things firsthand, uh, not only to have a better grasp of our present infrastructure, uh, but to support missionaries sent to PNG, but also to plan for growth operationally in the near future to receive more missionaries. And so just as a family, I can just say we we did well. God was just gracious. Our kids were excited to leave and sad to leave the United States. And when we left P&G, they were excited to leave and sad to leave as well. And so just being able to see just God's grace, which we do not deserve, having kids that just did well in that transition. And being able to see them navigating international airports with ease and understanding how to walk up for a security scan with their own passport on their own and things like that was just a joy. They did well, and it was just an ease to travel. It it was not a burden. There were three primary goals for our time over there, and I'll just work through these. When I'm done with these three, we'll move into watching the video. Um, But the first one was directing the Twombly's field orientation and culture language acquisition. So... Now, there are two parts to this process. One is this general orientation to living in a place that's new and foreign to you, right? Uh, you have to drive your car on the left side of the road rather than the right. Uh, switches for fans and electrical outlets are different than what we have here in the States. Uh, the process of getting data on your phone to make phone calls and access the Internet is different. Uh, the best times to be in town are different than what the best times to be in town are maybe here in the States, now, there's things like the location of grocery stores, the, the market, the post office, the bank, the pharmacist are all new and have to be learned. Uh, the acclimation to a new climate, temperature, lack of continual climate control that is regularly enjoyed here in the States. Uh, There's also the newness of shopping, uh, when the typical food selection can be different, or the trusted brands that you go comfortable with are just not found on the shelves, but you do still have to cook a meal for your family. On top of all this, there's a need to learn a completely new language, put yourself in new environments, and be made fun of while you try to learn a language. All the while sounding like a small child talking with grown adults. The Twombly's were able to make their way through three out of four stages of language learning for Tokpisan. And uh, as you move through these stages, stage one and two are just far more concrete in terms of what you're learning. And then stage three and four becomes far more dynamic. Uh, Another way to say it would just be moving into the abstract. So it'd be like saying, this is a rock. And then saying, this is what I believe about this topic. 
and they are very different. But the progression of moving from one to the other uh, can be shrunk down and reduced into four stages. Brian and Kara progressed through their language learning with much ease, mainly because they just love being around people, which is amazing. And they seem to not be concerned with sounding silly in front of others, which is good. Lori and I were able to meet with them weekly as they progressed through both language and simply learning to live in Medang, both as individuals as well as a family. And getting to be part of that process with them was just a tremendous joy for both of us. You know, something that a new missionary needs in the midst of this process is they need outside perspective because you're always inclined during your orientation and culture language learning to create a facade or a false impression of your progress. You will either be entirely suspicious of your progress or you will inflate your progress beyond where it actually is. And so you begin to think you're more clear in your communication with the language than you actually are. You'll start thinking that smiles and nods of agreement from people mean comprehension rather than simply visible signs of encouragement that they're thankful you're trying. And being able to have an individual that's able to give that perspective is just helpful. You need an outside party to be able to make those observations. Um, Otherwise, you just create this reality that you live in. Um, And the danger in that is if your goal is gospel clarity and you're not clear and you don't know it, then you're actually going to severely hinder your audience and syncretism is going to be the likely outcome. Uh, Since our departure from PNG, the Twombly's have finished their fourth stage of their language learning. They are continuing to progress in their language and culture learning, and they have just been an encouragement to everyone they've come into contact with. Uh, I know Zach and Cass have just been richly blessed by their care since they arrived back in PNG. Uh, A second item that uh, we worked on or the focus of our time over there was being able to assess our, our base of operations and the infrastructure in Papua New Guinea. So as an organization, our role is to help local churches plant more churches in Papua New Guinea. Now, because of the state of our infrastructure as an organization, we also had to focus uh, on this during our trip. And it was a large focus for the trip. Uh, It's Finisterre's responsibility to provide the resources and the infrastructure needed for ministry to be effectively carried out, not only in Medang for Team Medang, Um, which Brian Twombly is leading, but also carried out in the Finisterre Mountains. Just maybe to provide a contrast, Grace Bible Church recently planted a church in Gilbert, as well as New Orleans. Now, during the process of sending all those sweet families from this church body, no one was thinking about the need for work permits or entry visas. To my knowledge, no one considered if there would be a need for a backup generator for the church uh, while they were there. Uh, nor the need to coordinate fixed-wing aircraft or helicopters to be able to shuttle supplies from one location to another. It just didn't make the list in terms of things we got to make sure we're prepared for. No one had to stop and consider necessary medical training that they would need before they left because the location of the church plant had incredibly poor medical care. So just helpful as a reminder that we benefit from an amazing infrastructure here in the United States, and many countries have an infrastructure that's very similar. But Papua New Guinea doesn't have those things. So rather than being able to rely on established infrastructure in Papua New Guinea, like we see here in the States, we have to provide this for the missionaries. Uh, The local churches send through Finisterre. Those elders and pastors, they ask good questions that they should ask. Questions like this. How will our missionaries be able to enter the country legally and work in the country legally? We have to be able to answer that question. Where will our missionaries live while they do their orientation and prepare to identify and move into a village? We have to satisfy that question. How will they be able to get money to purchase food at the local markets? How will they be able to book flights within Papua New Guinea in and out of the village? How are they supposed to handle medical issues when they arise on the field? And who do they call when there is an emergency? How are they supposed to transport supplies from one place to another? These are all the questions that had to be answered. Many of them already answered, but the ability to see our infrastructure and our operations in Papua New Guinea just allowed for us to be able to answer these questions more effectively. 
We have two buildings on our property, which you'll get to see when we look at our video. Now, one of them is where the Twombly's live, and it has a full workshop that's attached to it. Uh, carpentry, welding, all of the things that would be needed in preparation for house building for missionaries, as well as maintenance on the property. The other is a two-story facility uh, with three apartments on the top floor. The bottom floor has a parking area on one side, as well as a hostel living area on the other, which is commonly rented out to SIL Bible translators. We also have a large backup generator that powers the whole facility. Now, the property is amazing, and there have been tremendous amount of work that's been done to it, even over this last year. In fact, tens of thousands of dollars have gone towards maintenance and improvements in that time period. And it's happened through generous donors' support that's gone through our general fund as an organization to support the missionaries that get sent through Finisterre. And I'm very thankful for the individuals that have contributed money towards that. You know, I recently had a phone call with a pastor in California who is, is planning to head to P&G in February along with their missionary uh, to see our facility and meet with the Twombly's. And he jokingly said on the phone, it's like, it's not that we don't trust you. We just want to see it for ourselves to make sure our missionary family will be well supported by Finisterre. Listen, we, we have to be able to well support missionaries that are sent out. Uh, pastors of churches that have trained up and raised up individuals that are well-equipped for discipleship in a foreign context need to know that Finisterre will support them well. And that needed to be reviewed and looked at while we were in P&G. I can also tell you it will not be long before we outgrow the space that we are in, and we are already considering ways we can expand for the short term and then plan for expansion in the long term. We are looking to the Lord just to provide for that need in the near future. Uh, the la- last item here before we move into the video is just needing to establish Brian Twombly as our field director of Medang. That was really the last item on the list. Now, a final part of that time is just dedicated to this because it's a role that didn't exist in the past. When I, we served as a family in Papua New Guinea, I was the logistics coordinator. Uh, I didn't have the role of overseeing ministry in Medang Town. Uh, that is something that Brian Twombly is taking on. We, we want to see within Medang Town a, a church strengthening and planting that's happening there. We want to see translation of biblical resources into the trade language of Tokpisan. Uh, we want to see also a continuing of providing logistical and administrative support for missionaries that are in the Finister Mountains. And we want to eventually see the establishing of a pastoral training program for individuals that are in Medang Town. Brian Twombly is the individual that's going to be overseeing that. And being able to establish him well as the field director was, was a critical responsibility while we were there. And getting him ready for that in five months was impossible. We, we all knew that. Uh, but the goal during that time was to get him exposed to as much as possible so he'd be able to grow into his role in the months and years ahead. Uh, Brian and I were able to meet with the directors of Wycliffe Bible Translators, called SIL, as well as Pioneer Bible Translators, and he was able to meet with the director of New Tribes Mission in P&G as well. Uh, Finister has had a relationship with these organizations for several years, but having Brian know them is critical. Uh, Finister missionaries regularly utilize SIL and NTM's airplanes and helicopters to travel within Papua New Guinea as well as larger projects like shuttling supplies during house building. Uh, We often purchase supplies through other mission organizations like food and printed materials for literacy programs as well as house building supplies. There's also the ability to collaborate when unexpected events occur. Uh, like experiencing 12 earthquakes in less than 24 hours in Medang while we were there. As soon as that series of quakes was done, I was texting back and forth with individuals and other orgs just to find out if they sustained any damage. And if we sustained any damage, it's sweet to have friends that are there that can help. Outside of the responsibility of leading the team in Medang, the field director is there to help in time of crisis. Now, by way of example, I remember a time back in 2018 when the head of the Department of Labor in Papua New Guinea changed in an election. Uh, The new director of labor attempted to change the types of work foreigners could do in the country in a short window of time, and it changed the classification for work permits that you could hold. And so basically what he proposed would have required the majority of missionaries on the field at that time to leave the country uh, because their work permits could no longer be approved. 
That issue required my immediate attention in the past. I didn't expect for the cans to come out of the village and to work side by side with me on sorting that issue out. It was something that squarely fell on the side of leadership on the field to be able to help work through the issues involved, to make appeals to the government that they wouldn't move forward with the decision that they had made to make those massive changes. And so the need for an individual like Brian Twombly, a field director that can lead on the field, is critical. And we were able to get him established in that role, and I talked with him even yesterday. He continues to do well at learning and learning and learning. And there is so much he doesn't know, uh, language and culture and experience that he needs to shape him. Uh, But he is a teachable man, a humble man, and only continues to demonstrate that he will do well in that role. And so here's just some quick things that were strengthened and fun things uh, from over there. Things I remembered I walked away from. One, a goofy one. I learned that papaya just tastes better in Papua New Guinea. And if you go to the store and you buy it here, just, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Um, I remembered and just strengthened with the reality that observing a sunrise over the ocean from your balcony is just breathtaking. And doing Bible reading in that way just gives greater glory to God. I miss that. Strengthened in the fact that the state of the church in Medang Town is weak. Um, but there are believers in Medang Town. There are few churches that preach the gospel. Churches that I was able to preach and teach out while we were there. Yet shepherding, discipleship, and training of men for ministry is absent. Care for church bodies is missing. Strengthened that there is absolutely a need for ministry in Medang Town as well as the Finister Mountains. I was strengthened and reminded that talk pisan as a trade language is an effective means of communication for discipleship and preaching and teaching in the town of Medang. Thankful that the Lord had provided us with the right people in the right roles to send and support more church planters to PNG. And it was strengthened the reality that more missionaries just need to be sent. And so the time there was just sweet. I, I, Uh, Lori and I going back, it only strengthened and solidified things for us and gave us a perspective that we had a previous one, but it's just full and rich in a way that we didn't have previously. And being able to think about ministry training of missionaries now, uh, I don't think that I would be as effective now in doing that had we not gone back. Uh, It was the right decision to send us, and we're just thankful we were able to do it. So with that, uh, we'll move into a video and um, it's about 10 minutes, so I'm going to go sit down. And after that, I'll come, down, I'll come give an update on what's going on right now in Medang, Maui Robro, and we'll pray and wrap our time up. Music, but 
just wrapping our time up. Um, just want to give some updates. Ministry of Medang, Ministry of Maui Roro, uh, and Prospective Missionaries. And this is, I want to give you guys some things to be praying about. And so here's a first. As I said before, just the Twombly family is doing fantastic uh, in Team Medang. Um, things to be praying about for them. Just pray that they would continue to progress in their language learning, their culture learning, Pray that they would be able to effectively navigate not only family uh, time, care for family, but be able to progress in those things with the goal of making good observations in town, in local churches, to be able to think about what ministry is going to look like, whether strengthening churches or planting a new church in Medang. I'm going to ask you to be praying about another family, the Ruscio family, Frank and Jacqueline Ruscio. Uh, Scott Maxwell and I had the opportunity to go and visit that church. It's up in Spokane, Washington, uh, Faith Bible. Uh, Lord, they are a, a very sweet family and have a desire to be the second teammate uh, that's going to be part of Team Medang, taking up the logistical and administrative responsibilities for Team Medang. And so it's going to allow Brian to be freed up to pursue and investigate more areas of ministry within Medang. And so that family is... Uh, if all things go as planned, we're hoping to start training with them April or May of this year and probably sending them to Papua New Guinea in the summer of this year. Very thankful for them that the Lord has just provided a family that is able to go, desires to go, the right kind of church with elders that are involved uh, in a family that just seems like they are equipped to go. They actually spent some time with us in Papua New Guinea on a short exploratory trip. And uh, that trip is just very helpful in terms of preparation and working through things with them so they'll be more successful in being able to be in P&G. Another item, obviously, which we all know is just be praying for the cans. Uh, They have got house building uh, is a massive focus for them right now. They're living in Medang uh, at the base there and uh, just doing well. Uh, I think they're getting over sickness at the moment, but overall well. 
Um, pray for them. Brian and Zach have just labored over the last two months to get a tremendous amount of work done uh, on the homes in the village. They have completely tore down the Mitchell's home, organized all of the materials, and actually moved forward with cementing in new steel posts for the foundation for the Cairns house. They've secured girding beams to those posts and floor trusts uh, so that everything is ready to go. There's a foundation that is prepared. Uh, They have two house-building teams that are scheduled. The first one is going to show up in about a week uh, in Papua New Guinea, flying in, I think, on the 10th of January. Uh, The hope for that team is that they will get the plywood flooring completely down, get the framing up on the house, and uh, get the roof on top of the house before they're finished. And then they have got another team that's going to show up first part of February from Countryside Bible in uh, Texas. And they are going to be showing up and Lord willing, uh, get the house fully enclosed, get plywood up on the interior walls, get the solar system installed, move on to plumbing and uh, really just make a tremendous amount of progress on the homes. And so just be praying for those two house building teams that are going to be going out there. Uh, every time I talk with Zach, he is only encouraged by how much progress they have made in a very short period of time. But I know that they would just appreciate your prayers. Uh, something else just to be uh, thinking through and just an update. Uh, Ryan and Elna Mitchell, they sent out an update uh, not too long ago here on their WhatsApp thread. Uh, Ryan has made a decision for their family, just informed with the leadership at their church back in South Africa, as well as Scott Maxwell, as well as Brian Twombly and Zach Can, uh, just to step away from ministry in Papua New Guinea and pursue ministry in South Africa. Uh, he is going to be starting as an associate pastor uh, at Living Hope Bible Church in Peter Maritzburg, South Africa. And that will begin February 1st of 2024. And so uh, this is something we are thrilled about for Ryan. And although it is a loss for us, just as an organization, as a friend, having the Mitchells there in Papua New Guinea being able to support the work that the Cans are doing or support the work in Medang, we also love the Mitchells. And we want Ryan to be serving in a way that's fit with his gifting and uh, with good counsel that he is getting from elders and from individuals within Finisterre. Uh, the decision was made for him to pursue something there in South Africa. And I have spoken to him even just last week, and he is regularly preaching and teaching and just excited about ministry opportunity that he has there. And the Lord is also, in the absence or stepping away of the Mitchells, um, the Lord is also providing another family. Uh, the Millers, Josh and Autumn Miller, uh, who were in Papua New Guinea in the past, uh, serving with uh, the Pano team that is no longer on the field. Uh, but the Mitchell family who are now in, um, they're in Florida at the same church that the Twombleys are from, um, they are being cared for, discipled, uh, and we are planning on them being sent out through that church uh, here in 2024 and being able to join the Cans working alongside them in Maui Roron. So be praying about that as they form through, talk through, and navigate that transition. Final uh, thing just to be praying about, we are uh, in the process. Uh, Scott has just been developing a relationship with uh, two families that are in California and uh, more than likely out there visiting them here in January. Uh, but this will probably be the next team that we identified that would be sent out into the Finisterre Mountains doing church planting amongst another people group. And so we just ask you to be praying uh, for those individuals. Um, they are a uh, just sweet family. We met them at Radius International. And uh, we are walking the path of a courting relationship with them and their elders at their church, just getting to know them and think through uh, whether partnership is something it makes sense to move forward with. And at this point, things just look very good. And so be praying. We need more workers. We need more individuals to go, but we need the right kind of individuals to go. If we quickly send individuals because they're excited, those individuals will quickly come back uh, because excitement does not give you endurance on the field. And so there's a need for us to make sure that individuals are invested in well, discipled well, prepared well to go before they leave so that they can last and endure in the field. So there's much to pray about. And with that, I'm going to pray and I'll close our time up and uh, you guys can be dismissed. And so let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do just praise you. Lord, I praise you for all of the work, Lord, that you have done, not only from the initial sending out of the apostles, Lord, that you did, who carried the message of the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth in their day, but Lord, the individuals that carried that message on and on to the ends of the earth, 
uh, as it continued to progress and go. And Lord, that work will continue, Lord, until the day that you do return. There will always be a progressive work of taking the gospel to places where Christ is not known. And even in places where Christ is known, even in those places, as time moves on because of the coldness of men's hearts, there is a need for the gospel again to come back to the same places. And so this is an endeavor that is not a once and done. Lord, this is an endeavor that you have commissioned us to do that will go on until you return. Lord, we long for that day when you will return. We long for that day where there will be individuals from every tongue and tribe and nation around your throne to praise you. God, I pray you would raise up the individuals that would be able to go to Papua New Guinea to carry that message and that responsibility out there. Lord, I thank you for the time this morning, and I ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.